The Evolve with Pete Evans podcast is a conversation about my favorite ingredients for a healthy human experience. We take an informed look at topics that include nutritional and emotional well-being as well as expanded consciousness. I love exploring the topics that are not traditionally taught at school and take a deep dive into them with my special guests. I invite you to sit back and come along for the ride with an open mind and heart and please share with your family and friends as these podcasts may just be the seed from which many things will flourish from. Cheers. We've been using Waters Co. water filters for the last 10 years and I wholeheartedly trust my family's health with them. Waters Co. established 1977 have personal and domestic water filters which turns your ordinary tap water into great tasting alkaline ionized mineral water which removes up to 99.9% of fluoride, heavy metals, chemicals and bacteria so you can love your tap water again. The Bio 1000 is the latest edition of the BMP 1000 model and the culmination of over 40 years of experience and research into water filtration by some of the world's leading scientists. Waters Co. was first to market with natural gravity-fed systems, creating alkaline water way back in 1984, and have continued to lead the market in research and development, setting the benchmark for all other brands to follow. Please go to my webpage, PeteEvans.com, to learn more and to receive your special discount from my link on the products page. You're going to love it. Dr. Maya Treat is an integrative pediatric neurologist with a medical degree from Albert Einstein College of Medicine, board certified in adult and child neurology, as well as pediatrics. She completed the University of Arizona's two-year fellowship in integrative medicine, founded by Andrew Weil, MD, and now serves as faculty. She lectures internationally to medical professionals and lay people on environmental health and toxins and healing with food and nature. Dr. Shatreet lives with her family in New York City, where she runs Brain Mending, her healing practice and urban farm. To find out more about Dr. Meyer, please visit her website, drmeyer.com. That's D-R-M-A-Y-A.com. Maya, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast once again. How are you, my dear sister? I'm doing very well, thank you, and thank you for having me. And thanks for reaching out, actually. And, I mean, we've had a, a relationship for some time. We've met in the flesh a couple of times. And, you know, you were one of the shining lights of the world of what I would call, hmm, what would I even call it, holistic health. But that's even too too simple a term because your knowledge and wisdom expands not only physical and mental well-being, but also spiritual well-being. And I feel that that is where you're going to take this conversation today with your new project. And I'm excited for us to be able to share that and to teach people what you are inviting them to join you on. So let's start there. What is the invitation that you have? So I created a certification program. And I'll tell you a little bit about my journey to get there in a moment, but I created a certification program for people to learn to navigate physical, emotional, and spiritual terrain. My school is called the Terrain Institute. And the way that I got to that was, I think most of us think about our health in this world, (laughs) 
you know, in the Western world, certainly as being mostly based in the physical. And we have some language around that, obviously. And then we have some language, I think, too, around emotional health. But what I've discovered is that we have very little language around our spiritual health. Many years ago, I was taken on a journey of my own, kind of going into the jungle and learning from indigenous elders and shamans. And I found that the paradigm there was a very different one than the one that we learn here. It's that actually for them, physical health is a very downstream issue. When you have physical disease or infection or any kind of illness, it's actually in that paradigm, the result of being out of balance in your spiritual health and perhaps in your emotional health. So physical health and issues around that are totally secondary or tertiary. So, and their model of health, of spiritual health comes from three things, being in good relations with yourself, being in good relations with those around you, and being in good relations with your place, with the earth, with the land, with the living beings there, with your ancestors. So I had come to that, you know, as a physician, as a conventionally trained adult and pediatric neurologist. And I had also been holistically trained and was practicing nutrition and herbal medicine and mind-body and was seeing patients from all over the world. And one day, we had had to move out of our apartment in New York City because there was mold. And we were out of the apartment for five months and they gutted the area where there was mold all the way down to the studs and everything was cleaned and we got rid of all of our upholstered things and got everything, you know, totally scrubbed down. And we moved back in. And my son, who had been the one that was the most sensitive to mold, my youngest, you know, two weeks after moving back in, he was in the bathroom that had originally been the epicenter of the mold and he had a seizure. And he'd never had a seizure before. He'd never had any kind of symptom like that before. And it was scary because he was actually locked in the bathroom at the time. And he was just a little boy. This was many, many years ago. So in that moment of you know him waking up and opening the bathroom door and coming out and me holding him in my arms, I just remember knowing with certainty that although I was one of the only people in the world that was a pediatric neurologist and an herbalist and did all of these different holistic approaches in addition to conventional for someone exactly like him. And maybe I would have been the person that people would have sent him to. I knew in that moment, I did not have the tools to help him because first of all, I already had him in a healing protocol. And second of all, I knew that there was something spiritual happening, that this was more energetic and that it had to do with him being energetically sick in some way or energetically out of alignment with where we were. And I knew I just didn't have the tools yet, but I knew that I, I would have to find them. And my journey, as these journeys often do, took me, it was a very windy journey. And it took me into not just finding what he needed, but meeting a PhD in ethnobotany and a fourth generation shaman who I followed to travel and learn from in Ecuador. And through that, learned from many other 
different teachers. And that eventually took me to learn from African medicine people, people from my own ancestry in Morocco. And I suddenly was on my own healing journey, as well as one for my son, that I ended up sharing with patients and ultimately opened the Terrain Institute and created a certification program because we really just don't have this language to talk about spiritual terrain, but so many of us are sensitive and empathic people. We're experiencing both exposures and energies that are affecting our energy body and our spiritual bodies, but we don't have any way to talk about it. And so we need a shared language. And there are many practices of how we can take care of our spiritual terrain in addition to our emotional and physical terrain. Mm, thank you for sharing. You're speaking my language or languages about this because I'm fascinated about the whole spiritual. And I, I'd have to agree with what you were saying about what you've learned from the elders and the indigenous on this journey is that spiritual misalignment seems to be one of the things that I guess modern medicine doesn't believe it or shuns away and doesn't see as a priority, whereas you and I and others can feel that when you're in the presence of someone, it's not just their diet. It's not just their emotional well-being. It's something deeper on the spiritual level that may need to be worked upon and to be discovered. And my question to you is, is illness an invitation for us to grow? I mean, I think that's a really powerful and important question. You know, I always feel very careful in answering it because I think for so many people, you know, when we try to say that there's a connection between physical illness and what's happening with us spiritually, you know, they think, well, are you trying to say I'm failing, that this is in some way my fault? And so the answer to your question is yes. I think that there is an invitation whenever we go through dark periods or we have struggles, that there is an invitation there. And I'm going to frame it actually in the sense that in indigenous society, the shaman or medicine person played this unique role of undergoing an initiatory experience or many, a sort of dark night of the soul. And it could be an illness. It could be, you know, something that is profound in that way, or it could look a lot of other ways. But in the process, they experienced this dissolution of self. And they had to return to reality with a wisdom that was new and different and more powerful. And in that process, we took on a new language, a language of the earth, of all living beings. And through that, took on the role in their communities as a healer leader. And in that process of becoming a healer leader and going through that dark night of the soul, they became as a go-between, between the material world and the spirit world, between the visible and the invisible, and between what is and what could be. And so many of us go through initiatory experiences through these dark nights of the soul individually, where it could be a loss of health. As with illness, it could be a loss of a job, a loss of a relationship, a loss of a loved one. It can even be something like giving birth where, you know, there are physical changes and there's a life change that could even be joyful, but you can't go back to the normal that you had before after you go through that initiatory experience. 
it doesn't mean that you can't have a new normal and that it can't even be a wonderful new normal. But in the process, there is something that you leave behind and a part of yourself that you leave behind. And you return to this new reality as the medicine people, as the shamans did with something new, different, and more powerful. And, you know, there's been a long period of time where this idea of the healer leader or the shaman or the wise woman were vanquished. And in fact, you know, in the European witch hunt period, about four or 500 years ago, a lot of these people were actually destroyed or went into hiding, you know, went underground. And so I think what we're seeing right now in a collective way, even though many of us have gone through this individually, collectively, we're now seeing that we're being called, that we are at a moment of invitation where we're being asked to return as heart-led leaders to build and claim a compassionate, more just society that takes into account, you know, the well-being of all living things. And I think we've been waiting for this to happen. And now we're in a moment of initiation, of collective initiation, where we can't be distracted by anything else. We're being called and our attention absolutely must be to this. I had the opportunity of interviewing Charles Eisenstein two days ago again, beautiful human being who has a very similar view on what is happening at the moment, that it is an invitation for us. And he actually uses the word coronation, actually, based off the initiation that we're going through or that we were invited to be a part of. And what he was saying was his idea or his belief is that if we don't right the wrongs, even though I don't like to use right and wrong, good or bad, but if we don't take this opportunity to create a more beautiful world from this situation that's happening with the coronavirus at the moment, if we don't take that opportunity collectively, we will be offered it again down the track, but it could be even darker for us. And if we don't take that opportunity, then to create that more beautiful world and we ignore it again, it will present itself again and again and again until we hit rock bottom and then we change. And he was saying, I don't know whether it's this time or whether it'll be next time or whether it'll be 20 of these down the track. But he said each and every time it's going to become harder and harder or maybe not harder and harder. We will always be invited to create a new world, but it is up to us collectively. And then I go on to mainstream news yesterday after that, and I can't see it. I cannot see it through that paradigm because there is so much influence. And I mean, this is just my belief, but looking and speaking to people that I know that haven't done the work or haven't done the journey, they're so easily led down the fear and nearly the brainwashing path. And I'm an optimistic person, you know, but I'm looking at this going, how the hell do we get to that point, you know, and will it take 20 of these initiation opportunities or invitations for that to happen? And what will be the casualties along the way? And I'd love for you to, because I'm, I'm sure you've thought about this too and where we are currently and can we do it? 
can we do it this time? Well, it's funny. I have a few things to say about it. I mean, first of all, I wrote and created this certification program two and a half years ago. And it's written all about initiation. It's written about how we choose to create our society based on these initiatory experiences. And it's almost as if it was written for this exact moment. Mm -hmm. And even then, I really saw that we have these opportunities and they are really invitations. They are. And as Pema Chodron says, nothing goes away until it teaches us what we need to learn. And I've seen this with health issues. And I even wrote about it in my book where there's a wake-up call that comes and then we have a choice. We can either engage and say, I'm going to do the work that I have to do, face the uncomfortable feelings, changes, and actions that I need to engage with in order to move forward in a a better and more evolved and more aware way, or we try to smooth it over or ignore it and move on. And when that happens, if we don't get the message that's being sent and that we could say it's the message from our body, or we could say it's the message from our guides or from the universe or from God, however you want to think about it, then it will come back and it will come back in such a way that it will be harder to ignore the next time. And again, harder to ignore the next time. Each time it will come back more strongly until it it grabs you by the shoulders and shakes you and you have no choice but to look at it. And certainly, I think right now, where we've all basically collectively been sent to our rooms, we are very much in a position to go deep. We're being forced to travel within in this moment, being, you know, in so many ways, physically isolated and restricted from engaging in those distractions that we normally all employ on some level. Even those of us who want to be very aware can certainly, you know, get very busy with work or very busy with travel. Well, right now, we can't do that in the same way. So I think it's true that this is something we can't run away from. And I think also that many of us know this even just from hearing about what's going on in climate change and what just happened, in fact, in Australia with those fires. It was absolutely galvanizing and grabbed the focus of the whole world, you know, but at the same time, you know, as you say, it seemed like the leaders were not interested in engaging in the conversation that needed to be had, you know, and so then it, you know, it falls into the hands of the collective. And that's one of the things that I teach. And one of the things I think is absolutely critical for us to all understand is there is no guru There is no teacher. There is no one leader that's going to save everybody. We want that so badly the same way we want that magic pill that can cure our problems. You know, we want something to magically come and that magical thing can come, but it is us. Mm, That's where I'm, 
I'm struggling a little bit, and, and I don't like to use the word struggle, but I guess goes around in my head is that we have this system in place, like you said, where we have these appointed leaders, and I listen and I read, I see hypocrisy, the incongruent messaging, the fear-led narrative, the uncertainty, the childlike behavior of these appointed leaders. And I'm sure they're doing the best they can with the tools that they have, with the philosophy and the belief systems that they have, because that's why they're in that position of fighting with another party. I mean, I look at politicians, for instance, and people have said, why don't you go into politics? And my first reaction is always, they're fighting with each other pretty much most of the time. That's my perception. What path is that to go down for someone like me of constant conflict? and potentially not even being able to do anything productively in that space. I mean, that's just my own maybe narrow view of politics and my perception of it. I'll just give you an example in this country. So in Australia, we have a prime minister that we have the premiers of each state, which I guess would be like the governors of each state for you in the States. And none of them can agree. Every single state in this country has a different way they're dealing with this coronavirus. And on top of that, you have the prime minister, which is equivalent of your president, which has a differing view from the leaders of each state. So it's even the same with cannabis. One of our territories or states, it's legal. The others aren't. I mean, even that just is bewildering and confusing for me. And I think I've got a pretty level head. It's like, what? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And to a point that this whole coronavirus and the reaction to it, for me, I still say it does not make sense. It's a really interesting space that I'm in because I see this. I'm like, well, if it's not making sense to me, you know, all of a sudden they've announced that they're supplying us, uh, everybody with more money. I'm like, well, isn't our country in debt, hundreds of billions of dollars or whatever it may be anyway? Where is this money coming from? What is the solution to that down the track? So, so I'm in this really interesting state. I feel like I'm watching a movie and I thought mm -hmm. we would have got to the end of this movie by now. By now and it's like, oh, fuck, it's one of those miniseries. <laughs> it's just, <gonna, laughs> just going to keep rolling out like Star Wars. It's going to be another one and another one. It's like the never-ending story of where we're at at the moment. and. And I've had this thought, you know, what's going to happen in three, six, 12 months? Will there be an uprising? How will that materialize if this continues to be this way? And it's the first time in my life I've actually started thinking about that type of thing. What would that look like? Mm -hmm. How would that play out? Who would be the players in this to change this childlike behavior that seems to be playing out, but even that as an uprising, that seems like a childlike behavior to a degree. So I'm fascinated by this in ways that I've never really thought about the future in so many different possibilities. Mm -hmm. I still don't have the answer to a degree. People keep sending me things every single day on 5G, on vaccinations, on all these conspiracy theories about taking down the cabal, on modern medicine, whatever it may be. And they're like, can you share this? I said, I don't know whether it's true. All of it might be true or none of it might be true. 
I actually have no idea. And that's a really beautiful position to be in at the same time that I don't know. And I, I, I guess I'm having a little bit of a, a rant here or maybe not a rant, but I'm just, I'm expressing myself. Uh, yeah, I don't think you're alone. And I guess where I was going yeah. with this, which you might be able to add an idea on, is what would happen in a indigenous community or society that where things don't make sense and has that ever happened? And if there were leaders in that, that were taking the tribe or the community into unsafe or uncharted waters or areas that change the energetic nature of that community. Okay. So I think that what you're talking about right now, this state of uncertainty, there is this feeling like we don't know what's coming next. We don't know what's true and what's not true in a certain sense. We're being forced to really question everything and live in that place of not knowing what's going to happen in, you know, one week, let alone one month, three months, six months, 12 months down. And I think catapulted out of our normal, it forces us to look at what our normal was and whether it was what we needed or even wanted. And that is very much a characteristic of spiritual awakening. That does not take away from the suffering that comes with the uncertainty, the suffering that comes along with whatever ramifications may come up around this. And certainly that there's still grief, you know, grieving whatever we had before that we may not be able to get back in exactly the same way or at all. So, you know, I think what you're really describing in all of the things you just said was not a rant at all, but really a good summary of where a lot of people are right now. And I would say about the fear component, I think I differ with a lot of people, you know, maybe even in the spiritual world about fear. I don't think that experiencing fear is necessarily a bad thing. I think we just have to be present to what is. And right now, what I'm seeing is that a lot of us have been walking around with a lot of fear in a lot of different ways that we may not have even come face to face with because we suppress it and we compartmentalize it and we deny it and we distract ourselves from it. But what I think we're all experiencing right now is a, a huge release of fear. All of this uncertainty, all of these disruptive moments, watching these people who are supposed to be our leaders in many cases, you know, doing the opposite of what we would think would be saving lives and taking care of their citizens and their communities well. You know, I think it's a very interesting moment. And of course, when you're in the beginning of a period of initiation, it doesn't feel good. Often it feels terrible. And here we are now really at the beginning of this period of initiation. And even now I can already see some of the awakenings and gifts, if we can say that, that we can extract from all of the difficulty that is happening right now that is also very real. And some of the things we're seeing are, for me, you know, people are starting to really look at the health of their bodies and how to maintain the health of their bodies through food, through vitamins, 
through herbs. Mm. You know, people are saying, I'm hearing physicians, some large physician groups that are talking particularly about what they're seeing with this virus, what's happening in the hospitals and so on, because I like to know what's Mm. happening on the ground. And a lot of the physicians are saying, you know, I'm taking vitamin D and zinc. What are you taking? Are you taking, you know, people are saying, I'm taking vitamin C. You know, I'm drinking this traditional Ayurvedic drink that my, you know, family, you know, drinks to stay well. People are sharing physicians, mainstream physicians are trying to learn more around how to maintain the health of the body, not through pharmaceuticals, because right now we really don't have pharmaceuticals that are doing this for us. And I'm seeing that on a larger scale too. I think that's a very profound thing. You know, we're seeing a lot more wildlife, like in cities where people are indoors. I know in Boulder, Colorado, I saw pictures of bobcats just walking the streets. So many people were indoors or in Italy, people are saying that on the coast, they're seeing dolphins come so much closer or in Wuhan that people were hearing birds singing for the very first time. So, you know, here we have like, it's not to say this is all positive. This is all a a gift. This is going to be easy. No, it's not necessarily easy, but there are always diamonds to be mined when we go so deep, you know, and that is happening right now. I would also say in terms of how do shamans or medicine people or the healer leaders, how in an indigenous society might they have taken people through such a thing? Well, there is, you know, ritual there are ceremonies. They engage with their ancestors. They engage with the living beings of the earth. They look to the wisdom of plants and animal teachers and ancestors and the invisible world. And they can do that. There are ways, obviously, this is not simple. This is, this has a very strong, powerful and, you know, age old history to it. But at the same time, these are not necessarily many of the practices around this are very simple. And there are things that I teach in my program because we all have the ability, both individually and collectively and as, you know, as a community, communally to be able to engage in these kinds of practices in order to help ourselves to heal and work through these kinds of powerful forces that we're dealing with right now, and also to help heal the world on a larger scale, to be able to step forward and have a real impact on making the world a healthier and more compassionate place. So I think that, you know, that's a very critical part that we have been missing has been to engage in building sacred space, which can be very simple and something that I teach, can be creating ritual, engaging in ritual and ceremony and working with the plants. You know, I'm a science geek (laughs) at the same time that I'm very, you know, enmeshed with the sacred and with ancient wisdom. I bring those two things together. That's how I make sense of things. And that's how I teach them. So looking at things like animal consciousness and plant consciousness, there is a whole science underlying that. And at the same time, there's also a whole wisdom, an ancient wisdom 
underlying that and looking at both of those things and how can we create a more intimate relationship with the plant and animal world and with Mother Earth so that we are in a position to be able to ask for help and actually learn to listen and to hear what it is that we're being told to do, you know, to be able to be guided. This is very powerful and important work as we shed our current narratives, because that's really a big part of this is the unlearning process and leaving behind these stories that we've been telling ourselves. I would say to you, Pete, in fact, when you say, you know, people say you should go into politics, maybe that story, that narrative that it's all just about arguing and childish people is actually a narrative that we could let go of and that you could let go of and say, I'm going to go and shine my incredible light that I have as Pete Evans and people will align to me and to my vibration and to the work I'm doing rather than me having to align myself to this lower vibration, childish, quote unquote, although childish is almost insulting to children. (laughs) (laughs) True. When I talk about our current leaders and how they don't seem interested in, you know, in, in, really doing the work, the leadership work that's needed. But, you know, maybe you don't have to align to that energy. Maybe you show the new way. My family and I have been using beautiful, high-quality essential oils for the last 20 years to live healthily every single day. Now, if you're passionate about health and are ready to step into leadership, I want to invite you to partner with my team and I to build a beautifully successful doTERRA business. Register at Pete HLC dot com backslash Pete. That's Pete HLC, which stands for the Healthy Living Collective. dot com backslash Pete. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. For your everyday food supplements that are not only nutrient dense but are sourced from organic whole foods such as beef liver, oysters, medicinal mushrooms, whole food based natural vitamin C, collagen bone broths, and more, you can't go past our heel range. Get yours online at gelatinaustralia.com.au and great health food stores around the country. It's interesting. I mean, you and I have experienced a journey different plant medicines and animal medicines as well. And one of the most common things that I often hear people say that are in that space is, we need to get politicians to sit down and drink some medicine or smoke some medicine or go on one of these journeys with us. You know, they're the perfect candidates for this type of work. I would love for you to share some of what you've experienced in your entheogenic or psychedelic journeys about stepping into the unknown, which we are at the moment. We're stepping one step at a time into that unknown. And how do you prepare for something like that, that the uncertainty of what you're about to experience? I first want to answer what you said about should politicians be doing, you know, entheogens or that kind of plant medicine? You know, I'm not sure. But I would say to you this, I don't think that that plant medicine or animal medicine of the kind we're discussing is for everyone. And the question I have is, do we need our leaders, our current leaders and politicians to drink plant medicine or, you know, however they may partake, or do we need 
people who have engaged with plant medicine to become our leaders. I hear you. You know, that is actually exactly why I created the Terrain Institute was because I wanted to find the empathic, sensitive people who have those special gifts of being able to connect with the unseen world in whatever ways that may be, who are open and who are not all about their ego. This does not mean that we don't all have work to do around our egos and shedding our narratives and healing from our past in whatever ways may need to be. Nobody is exempt from that. But certainly I find that the people who really have that sensitivity tend to be the ones who shy away from leadership roles because they don't necessarily know how to manage the kind of forces and energies that might come at them being in a position of leadership. And many of these people, and I could include myself as one of them, you know, at least at one time, you know, felt like we were discouraged from being sensitive, discouraged from being in connection to our our heart space and being empathic. And I certainly in certain ways felt I needed to leave that behind as a physician, you know, in order to kind of harden myself to the sorts of things I was being asked to do. And I really had to do a journey to come back to that. So one of the things I teach people is around protecting yourself, grounding yourself, cleaning yourself of those energies, you know, and I'll give an example. I think of fear as a physical entity in the same way that, you know, we might think of like the smell of a skunk. So, you know, people will say, well, just, you know, just, move on, move past it, you know, but when people throw fear at you, and a lot of us are experiencing this right now, you know, I think of it as if you were sprayed by a skunk. And if you've been sprayed by a skunk ever, or you've had a pet or, you know, anything that's been sprayed by a skunk, you know that that will stick, mm-hmm. that stays with you unless you take actual steps <laughs> to clean it or remove it. It is very much there, even though you can't see it. And that is how fear works. You know, because that sense is just a physical manifestation of fear. So when we experience fear coming at us, it stays on us. It stays with us. And we then walk around holding that. And it is a part of our energy and a part of our field. So there are practices that help us to clean it, just like taking a shower. You know, there are practices with plants and doing other different kinds of things that help us move that away from us so that we can continue and feel clear and strong and not so burdened as we're holding space, you know, not just for ourselves, but also for usually our families and for sometimes our communities. And sometimes even we're feeling it on a, on a grand scale. So that's one thing that I would say about leadership and engaging in that kind of journey is that we need these practices, including rituals, including working with the plants and learning how to create that intimate connection with the plants in order to be able to do this work and step into roles of leadership. I think for me, going into a plant medicine journey, the one thing that you know is that you can't know anything about it. The only thing that you know is that you'll come out the other end. And for me, the one thing that I always have to remember going in and the way I prepare myself for it is to remind myself 
that whatever happens, it's the medicine that I need in that moment. It takes a profound amount of faith to be able to say, I'm going to surrender to whatever it is that's happening. And I know that it will be the medicine that I need and that I will come out the other end. For anybody that's never done an experience like that, can you explain it in a way that people can have a little bit more of an idea on what you're talking about, if you don't mind? Well, let's say, you know, that someone goes to drink ayahuasca, for example. Again, not something I actually think is for everybody, you know, and I actually have a whole module in my program on the science and the sacred of psychedelics so that people can explore in more detail, you know, who it is right for, who it isn't and why. But in that process, basically what you're doing is you are ingesting, in this case, a plant concoction that is going to turn off just from a a neurophysiologic standpoint is going to turn off parts of your brain that are around your ego. So what happens is that you stop having a sense in a certain way, you know, your meanness, whatever makes you you (laughs) sort of dissolves away for a period of time that can be, you know, many, many hours. And in that process, it can look a lot of ways for a lot of different people. There's really no one exact way. You know, there are certain common things that can happen. There can be vomiting and for some people, you know, diarrhea. So there can be a purging that comes with it. But also it's really that sense that there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide and you are facing whatever is being presented to you. And the part of you that's turned off, that part of your brain that kind of gets turned off is a part of your brain that normally suppresses a lot of things, suppresses childhood trauma, suppresses fears, suppresses, you know, all the things that we compartmentalize so that we can move through and get through the day. So when that is unleashed, in some sense, there are things that come up for you that could be very distressing, disturbing, scary, not always, but that can be a part of it. And whatever it is that comes up, you know, beautiful, ugly, difficult, scary, grief-inducing, whatever it may be, there's no getting away from it. You have to look at it in some way. And very often people will say that they were shown things in this process, things that they need to do in order to heal or, you know, wisdom that they didn't have before. So some people will call this 10 years of therapy in five hours because there can be those sorts of profound realizations or shifts in the process. So it is something that very much can catapult you out of the norm. It's sort of a an initiation that you enter voluntarily, while most other initiations are not things we would enter voluntarily, like losing our health or losing a relationship or the other things that we discussed earlier. This is the sort that you might say, I'm going to embark on this journey of initiation and see what I have to learn when I go within. And then you talk about or what you teach is the importance of that surrender and knowing how to navigate uncharted territory. We're in uncharted territory now and that surrender into this space and 
before we started the podcast, you said, how am I going? And I said, you know, to be perfectly honest, I'm in a real state of calm and maybe contentment. And it feels strange to say that in this time when there is so much uncertainty and people will be in a lot of fear, like a lot of fear. There's jobs being lost. There's financial situations that people have never faced or are facing again. And me personally at the moment, I, I feel quite calm. And it, people heard, heard me say that, they think I'm probably very strange or maybe not empathetic or sympathetic for other people. But I could only answer how I feel about myself when you ask me that question. But you teach the importance of surrender. And I, I sort of am surrendering a little bit. And can you explain why surrendering to a degree isn't weakness and how to navigate this, this uncharted territory? Well, I do think it's interesting that in our society, we talk about surrender as losing. <laughs> When in fact, surrender is really an acknowledgement that we can't control what's happening and that we're showing up anyway, we're adapting anyway, and that we are going to learn, we're going to find our own roadmap through the uncharted territory. So from my point of view, Looking at the concept of surrender is actually how you become strong, is through the process of surrender, because we like to believe that we're very much in control of everything. But I think there are times in our lives where we're shown that that's not true, that we are in control in some practical day-to-day way, because as we see, there can be, you know, in just a week's time, and of course, For those of us who have the privilege to be able to have a home to live in, know that we're going to be able to feed our families, you know, it is certainly easier to have that, you know, walk in with into periods of surrender with more calm than it is if, you know, people don't have food literally right now to feed their families. And for some people, it's the first time ever that that's happening. So it is this period of intense uncertainty. And we're learning that no matter how well we were doing, how hard we work, how much we had it together, that we are not totally in control and that we do have to learn how to face this period of uncertainty and adapt, you know, kind of walk through the fire and come out the other side. And That is really, in my mind, what makes people badass is if you've been in a position where you've had to fall apart in some way, learn that you're not in control, put yourself back together and keep walking, you know, even though you're just taking one step at a time. And that's, you know, the kind of surrender that might happen in a plant journey in a more microcosmic sense. And it happens in our lives in a, in a more macro sense. And right now it's happening to us collectively all over the world. You know, we're all changing and many people are really rising to the occasion, getting creative. I mean, I'll tell you right now, and this is just one example that, you know, because a lot of schools are closed and restaurants are closed, we have farms upstate from me in New York that are just literally throwing away fresh milk. And tossing their vegetables because they're just not harvesting them because they don't 
have any way to get them to the people who need them. But of course, everyone needs to eat right now. And there are a lot of people who really need food. And it just so happens that our distribution chain is not what it needs to be for this particular moment. And there are people who are community workers and politicians and people like me who are connected with the producers. And we're all in conversation now trying to be creative and shift an entire food distribution system to be something that serves the people who need it. Mm. And this Part of what we do when we walk through uncharted territory is we do things we never thought we could do. We create things we never thought we could create. We're doing things that would take eight months or a year or longer in three days. That's sort of evidence of the power of surrender. Uh, I, I love it. I, I love hearing these stories where it's like the phoenix, you know, rise out of the ashes and create a new way of living. It's like the new neural pathways that you're creating, but with people and logistics. And, you know, I, I love it. It's funny when you talk about that breaking down, because I was just in Costa Rica six months ago and the first two nights of medicine journey with ayahuasca, it was beautiful. And I had a film crew there and they're like, how is it going? I said, yeah, I'm amazing. Like the first two nights were were brilliant. And then lo and behold, third night comes along and I had my first cup and it was again brilliant. And I was like, oh, okay. Went back for the second cup and stupidly, my, I said to intention, I said, okay, let's have some fun now. (laughs) (laughs) And the next 24 hours was just a living nightmare. And it was interesting because the film crew came to me the next day just before the fourth ceremony. said, how are you going? I said, well, the first two nights I thought I had the universe worked out. I thought I knew it all. And then after the third night, I realized I know nothing at all. (laughs) It broke me down. (laughs) So I broke myself down to realize that the uncertainty and how maybe not fragile we are, but just when you talk about believing that we have control over things. That was what that third night was about. So you think you're in control? Well, let me show you, Mr. Evans. <laughs> okay. I give up. I surrender. I'm back to back to being that child again of awe and wonder of wow, we've got this journey of a lifetime to discover who we are. And once we think we know it, <laughs> something will come along and, and test us. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't mean to make light of it, but it was pretty interesting. And I actually said at that time, that that was the hardest 24 hours that I've been through. And it's very hard to describe that because, you know, I've got food, I've got shelter, I've got all of these things, but I felt like my mind was and my whole sense of identity was just shattered into a trillion pieces and putting it back together was where are these pieces? They're scattered everywhere. And do I really want to put back myself the same way or am I, is this an invitation to rebuild Pete Evans? Have you got anything to say about rebuilding? I think that one of the most important things in the process of rebuilding is being in this place of humility, being in a place of understanding that we are all connected, you know, and I think your experience of your third night, <laughs> your <laughs> third journey, you know, reminds me in a certain way of me, you know, with my arms around my son after he had that 
seizure, you know, and thankfully it's many years later now and he never has had another one and he's a healthy, happy guy. But I didn't know that was going to happen in that moment. And it was certainly a call, certainly humbled me because at that time, I think I had a certain amount of hubris. I thought, yeah, like I could help anybody. I could help anybody who came to me with problems. I really deeply believe that. And maybe it was true, but you know, how uh, humbling is it to have your own child in some way demonstrate to you that in fact, that's not true in this moment and have kind of your sense of control and ego and all of the different, you know, constructs you've built around, you know, being important and helpful and of service in the world, just everything kind of crumble in front of you for a period of time. And so coming in that, with that sense of humility could not be more important in the process of rebuilding. And I would say, other than that, the rebuilding is something that just happens one step at a time. You know, it's not a, now I'm going to take over the whole entire world moment. It's doing one thing at a time, changing one thing at a time, finding a new way to do that thing over there. And then as you do it, suddenly you're finding yourself more whole with each passing decision, with each passing action, with each passing day. Mm -hmm. I just have a picture of the politicians now just being honest and coming out and saying, we don't know. <laughs> help us. <laughs> Collectively, everybody, help us work this out. You know, and maybe that's what they are doing with the isolation. But, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because we're looking for them to answer these problems for us. But perhaps they don't have the answers for us either or for themselves. So, yeah, it was a very humbling experience. Yeah, I don't know if anyone has the exact answers right now or if they're even asking the right questions or even if they're willing to ask the right questions or really even if their intention is the right intention. You know, there's so many layers to this. You know, this is why I consider the graduates of my program to be part of a movement. And I actually will say to you, speaking of politicians, that, you know, I have aspiring politicians come through my program. And one of them right now is running for New York City Council, you know, and here she is someone who has worked in corporations and startups and is very interested in climate change and wants to bring this whole idea of sustainability and equity to politics, but also has been through a program where she's learned about ritual and ceremony and animal consciousness and plant consciousness and has a whole sense of how do we make decisions that are based in the well-being of all living things, all living beings. You know, so I think we have to start thinking of ourselves as we come through this awakening as being part of a movement mm. and really embracing whatever leadership we may be here to bring. It does not look the same for everybody. You know, not everybody has to run for office. You can be a teacher and be a leader. You can be a parent in a community and be a leader. There's a lot of different ways for this to look, you know? And I think, again, it's that idea that we are the ones that we have been waiting for. Mm. I'd love to finish off with you talking about being a leader and a teacher. 
and from your understanding with shamans and the indigenous, are they still students and are we all still students of life? I think that we are all students throughout our lives and that you must beware of anyone who says differently or who acts differently than that. We are all learning and we learn until the day we die, you know, and certainly I am very deferential to my elders for this very reason, because they have been around a long time. And very often, the longer you live, the more humility you have, the more you learn what you don't know, even as you do have wisdom to share. You know, when it comes to people, and even when it comes to me for that, I don't consider myself as the teacher, I consider myself as a guide. And I think for all of us who want to do our part in this period of awakening, rather than thinking of ourselves as teachers or experts, it's more about being midwives of this process. And anyone who's stepping into the role of leadership and why I talk about the healer leader or the heart-led leader is because it encompasses the idea that we are students. Anyone who is a healer is always a student and not just, you know, someone who has expertise. So it's about guiding this process and midwifing this process and helping bring people through this period of initiation where we're all learning every day. Mm, I love it. And how does somebody apply to take your course? Is it open to everybody? Is it health professionals only? Tell us about the intake process and when does that happen and how can that happen? The only requirement for someone who wants to come through my certification course is that they be open, open-minded, that they are ready to push their boundaries and that they're you know, willing to engage and learn in community. So... Uh, there aren't prerequisites. We have had many health professionals, MDs, nurses, you know, PAs and other health nutritionists come through the program, but we've also had entrepreneurs. We've also had, as I said, uh, you know, politicians and aspiring politicians and professors and farmers and activists and people who are, were previously stay at home moms who were ready to step up in some ways. So as far as you know, who, you know, if you're ready to find your voice or you even know what you want to say and you want to be able to do the work to be part of a, a community and a movement, dive into how we got where we are, different practices to care for yourself, your community and the world and to step forward in heart-led leadership. And if people are interested, they can learn more about the tools if they want to do that. I have a webinar for people who want to learn about earth-based tools to navigate challenging times. And that's just at drmaya, D-R-M-A-Y-A dot com slash webinar. If they want to look at the actual certification registration, they can go to drmaya.com slash certification. It's a six-month immersion of lectures all online 
meditations to integrate, rituals to take action and set intention and practices. And then the last step is, you know, how are we going to share this with our community? So we have guest people who come in and talk about how to amplify your message and step into leadership. And for many of the people who have done this program, they either want to bring it to what they're already doing, or they see that they want to change their profession or change their focus. And so we help people through that process. What a beautiful, beautiful offering for the world and an invitation that you are offering people and an initiation. And for anybody that wants to learn more about Maya and her work, please read your first book, which is called The Dirt Cure, which has become a firm family favorite for us and so many others. Maya, I just want to tell you that I love you. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on our podcast for the second time. And uh, hopefully when the transition period of this goes through, we will be in a uh, much more beautiful space and we can connect again in the flesh and maybe share a meal of all the different parts of the cow like we did last time in that little New York restaurant. <laughs> that was a very memorable meal and I would love that, Pete. And thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and I'm sending my love to you in this time. If you would like to become a qualified health coach, then the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, or IIN for short, can help you achieve your goals. I completed the health coaching course many years ago, which has been one of the catalysts for my own journey into what I now love to do, which is to help people achieve greater health through the sharing of information through my books, seminars, podcasts, TV shows and films. I recommend IIN for anyone wishing to pursue a career in the health coaching and wellness space. IIN is a one-year course, so that if you're a full-time worker, busy parent, or wherever you are in your life, it is flexible enough so you'll be able to complete all the required curriculum. Please see the link included in the podcast show notes or my website to access the free sample class and first module of their program. This will give you a great taste of the format as well as the structure, and you can also utilize my special discount that I can offer you if you decide to sign up. Make sure you tell the admissions team that you're part of the Pete Evans Tuition Savings to claim your very substantial discount. Please visit integrativenutrition.com or email admissions at integrativenutrition.com. The information, views and opinions expressed in this podcast should not be treated as a substitute for nutritional, medical or other advice by a qualified professional. Guests in this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions. Nothing in this podcast should be used to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any medical condition. Neither Pete Evans nor any sponsor endorse any views, opinions, or conclusions expressed or shared in this podcast.